On Friday, I lost my voice, and I don't know what exactly happened, but Friday night we were leaving the house and heading up to the church, and, and Danny goes, you need to stop talking. And, and, and she tells me that a lot, but th- in this case, she says, you need to t- stop talking or you won't be able to speak on Sunday. And I basically said that if the Lord has given me a word, he'll give me a voice. And so if I stop, if we go through this midway and I stop um, not able to talk, then I guess the Lord has, um, I've reached my word limit for the day or something. You ever have one of those mornings when um, it just kind of seems like nothing goes your way? Well, this has been kind of one of those mornings um, for, for, I know, several of us in this room. Um, uh, I was up here this morning, and I got a phone call from, from Danny, and she said, there is a snake in our room. And I'm thinking, okay. Um, and she's like, I don't know what to do. And so I loaded up in the car, and I, I went home, and it was the biggest snake I've ever seen in my life, Okay. <laughs> But a snake is a snake, all right? I'm not a fan of snakes, and my only fear, and my kids haven't heard this yet, my only fear is that mama snake somewhere in that house. And if there's a snake this big, then there may be more than one. So we may need to have all of you over for a snake hunt later today. Um, and then after getting back up here to the church, um, we had a couple of toilet situations. It's just been one of those fun mornings today. And I know that my friend Jay also kind of had an emergency situation that he had to take care of um, with, with Casey over here um, kind of consume some ingredients that she's allergic to. And so it's just been a fun morning. And I'm excited now, though, that we get to dive into God's Word. I know that our students this weekend, they've been a part of Disciple Now. And it's been a weekend that the Lord has, has spoken to them. These leaders have invested in them and, and breathed God's Word into them. And so I'm looking forward to us wrapping up this weekend, this morning together. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to begin this morning looking at verse 12. Last week we began a new sermon series entitled God's Design for His Church, Um, and we covered verses 1 through 7 last week. Now this morning we're going to skip over verses 8 through 11 and pick up in verse 12, and the next week we'll come back and cover verses 8 through 11. As I was praying about this weekend um, with Disciple Now happening, I thought this message was very appropriate for what our students have learned and for all of us in this room. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at Paul's testimony, okay? Just like you have a testimony, Paul had a testimony. As believers in Jesus Christ, we have a testimony of our life before Christ, what Christ did in our life that brought us to salvation and our life after Christ. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So read with me, beginning in verse 12. Here's what we read from God's Word. I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 
of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Know this this morning. No sinner is beyond God's reach. No person in this room has done anything that has disqualified you from becoming a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died for all of us in this room and everyone outside of the doors of this room. So everyone is within God's reach. Romans 5.8 tells us, But God showed his love for us in this, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Doesn't say that Christ died for a certain number of people or certain people. It says that Christ died for sinners. He died for all of us. Our first point this morning is this. Let's look at Paul's position. Okay, in verse 12 we read, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Paul begins this part of his letter to Timothy, affirming his credentials as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you remember old school um, revivals, and, and I want to say old school in the sense that, that revivals are, 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 are not as prevalent within the local church today as they once were. Would you agree with that? At one time, there used to be at least a couple of revival services that a church would have every year. Those would last anywhere from a few days to a week or maybe even longer than that. And a lot of times, they would bring in an evangelist. Then that evangelist would... would share his testimony before the church. And if you remember those testimonies, a lot of times these evangelists, what they would do is they would really pump up the, the, the crowd by talking about what their life looked like before Christ. I mean, it was a life that was full of um, 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 of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, basically. I mean, they would, even some of the ones that we brought in, I mean, they had been, they had spent some time in prison. I mean, they would hype up their testimony. And then they would get to the point and they would kind of mellow out a little bit and they would say, and then the Lord got a hold of me and he saved me from my sins. Why is it that so often when we hear somebody's testimony, we hear with, with a sense of enthusiasm in people's voice of what they were like before they became a Christian? And they talk about that radical moment that Christ saved them, and then they kind of mellow out a little bit about their life after they became a believer. Folks, we need to be more excited about what Christ has done on this side of our salvation than what Christ did in our life or what was lacking in our life before we became a Christ follower. You know, when I think about Paul, what Paul does is the first thing that he does is he doesn't talk about his past. He doesn't talk about what the future looks like. He talks about the present in the sense that he says right here that Jesus appointed me to his service. When was the last time you thanked the Lord for the ministry that he has given you? And if you remember several weeks ago, we looked at every believer in this room is a minister of the gospel. If you are a believer, you are a minister. Okay, your ministry may look different than mine, and my ministry may look different than yours, but all of us in this room have been appointed to a ministry position. We have been appointed to service, and that is what Paul is doing here. Is he is grateful that the Lord has given him an opportunity to be his hands and his feet. And, and, and I love that about Paul. You know, Paul 
could, could certainly at this moment have really boasted about his life. Okay? But he doesn't. He, he, he mentions that in other parts of, of Scripture. But if there was anyone that had reason to, to speak of what the Lord had been doing in his life since he became a Christ follower, it was Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I want to, and I've got a power, um, it's on the PowerPoint. I want us to look at a few of the different things that happened in Paul's ministry years. This is a, a frame of about 30 to 35 years, okay? Paul speaks of these things that occurred in his life. He talks about many imprisonments. He talks about countless beatings. He says often he was beaten to the point of death. Five times he received 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods. One time he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. And then he says he experienced danger from rivers, from robbers, his own people, Gentiles. There were danger within the city, danger within the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from those who preached a false gospel. He said that he experienced great toil and many hardship. He experienced sleepless night. He often went without food and drink. And we also know that Paul was given a, 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 a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what that was. Never tells us what that was, but we do know that Paul asked the Lord three times to remove that from him. The Lord didn't, so he went throughout life with whatever that painful thing was in his side. Even though he would experience such hardship, what does Paul do? He speaks to Timothy as a man who is grateful that the Lord called him to do the work of ministry. What a great mentor of the faith that Timothy was. Paul was to Timothy, and a great mentor he is for all of us in this room. Paul was grateful that the Lord had given him a place of service in the world. Notice this. So Paul establishes, here's where I'm at today. Thank you for the opportunity to serve is what he's telling Timothy and grateful to the Lord for. And then he reaches back briefly and touches on his past. In the first part of verse 13, we read, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. And then in verse 15, he, he writes, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. Notice what these verses tell us about Paul. Paul, before he became a believer in Jesus Christ, was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor. He was an insolent man. And he was the foremost of sinners, is what he said. Paul couldn't have been that bad, could he have? Surely not. Man, the Lord certainly would not use a person with such a horrible past to accomplish great things for him. Would he? Absolutely he did, and absolutely he does, and absolutely he will. Throughout Scripture, we know he used people with a messed up past to accomplish his purpose. Abraham was a liar and a polygamist. Jacob had two wives and two concubines. Moses was a murderer and a workaholic. Rahab was a prostitute. David committed adultery. Peter denied Jesus three times, and the Lord used each of these on the other side of their failures. Those are just a few of the people throughout Scripture that God used in spite of their past failures. I don't care what your past is. You are not beyond the reach of God. You are not beyond God's grace. Now we know what Paul accomplished for Christ. But, but let's look at his life before Christ. Okay, Paul would be trained 
as a Pharisee by the chief Pharisee by the name of Gamaliel. Paul was a, would persecute Christians, ravage the church. Paul, although we are never told that he murdered anybody, we do know that Paul gave his blessing for the murder of early Christians. And in fact, the first introduction we have to Paul in Scripture, he's called Saul at the time. It was when Stephen was stoned to death. It is here that we are first introduced to Paul. Paul would go on to write 13 of our New Testament books, but before he would write a single book, this is what he was doing. In Acts chapter 7, verses 57 through 60, we read these words. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So Paul is right here witnessing the murder of this early saint of the gospel, saint of Christ. In Acts 8.1, we read this, And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. Then they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The next time we see Paul is in Acts chapter 9. In the verse, couple of verses of that verse of that chapter, it tells us that Paul went to the chief priest. And he asked for permission to go to the city of Damascus to arrest anyone belonging to the way and bring them belonging to Christ and bring them back to Jerusalem. Now understand this. It's about 130 miles from Jerusalem to Damascus. So Paul got permission to travel 130 miles to find any Christian within the city of Damascus was his plan and to bring them back to the city bound. Whether that was with rope or chain, we don't know. But how messed up is that? Who goes to the chief priest, the religious leaders, and asks for permission to do such a horrible, wicked act? That's the kind of person Paul was before he became a Christian. Well, we know on the road to Damascus, what happened to Paul? The Lord revealed himself to him. And Paul, on that road, would become a Christ follower. He was blind. For a period of time, he would go into the city of Damascus and he would have to wait for a few days in the home of a gentleman by the name of Judas. The Lord revealed himself to Ananias and, and told Ananias to go to the house of Judas. There he would find Paul. And notice what Ananias says to the Lord here. He says, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. Paul was an evil man that terrorized believers before he became a Christ follower. Understand, Paul was clearly ashamed of his past. But do you know what his past reminded him of over and over and over? And he writes about this over and over and over throughout his writings. His past reminded him of God's grace of God's goodness. Most of us in this room are not very proud of every decision that we made before we became a Christian, right? You know, if you became a Christian, especially later in life, 
That's probably more so true for you than for me who became a Christian as an 11-year-old. You know, I didn't do a whole lot bad before I was, um, you know, an adult, okay? You know, I probably, you know, I know that I wasn't the, the, the sweetest child in the house, but I was better than my brother, okay? Um, probably lied a few times, probably did a few things that I shouldn't do, okay? But my life wasn't like Paul's, all right? So, so none of us, though, are proud of our life before Christ, okay? Some of us are not proud of probably some of the things that we've done even as Christians, right? But here's the thing. There is good news for all of us. God saves sinners and redeems sinners and transforms the lives of sinners. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9-11. through 11. Notice kind of this rap sheet that Paul mentions here. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor rivalers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says this of those in that room or, uh, uh, that he was communicating. And such were some of you. Okay, he's saying basically some of you had this, this checkered past yourselves. Then he goes in and he says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Paul was washed. Paul was sanctified. Paul would be pardoned by the Lord as have all of us in this room that are Christ followers. So notice our third point. Notice Paul's pardon here. The latter part of verse 13 through 15 we read, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul knew that what he deserved was God's judgment for his horrendous acts. He knew that. He knew that it is what he deserved, but that is not what happened. Because the Lord reached down and saved him. Notice what Paul is grateful for here. He says that he is grateful for God's mercy and God's grace. In his mercy, Paul did not get what he deserved. You know what Paul deserved? Paul deserves what all of us in this room deserve. And that is judgment from God for our horrendous acts before we became a Christ follower because of the sin in our life. He, he also, in, 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 in his grace, God gave Paul, salvation, which he did not deserve. You know what grace is? Grace is God's undeserved favor. None of us deserves God, deserved God's grace. None of us in this room deserved God's mercy. That's where love comes into the picture. He loved each of us so much. God sent his son Jesus to come to this world and die on the cross for our sins. The Bible says that all of us are sinners. Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us in this room, we're all sinners. We have all fallen short of God's glory. What we deserve, okay, is eternal life separated from God. Okay, in fact, Romans 6.23, the very first part of that verse, it says what? For the wages of sin is death. The consequences for our sin is death, is what it said. But then it goes on. Paul writes, but, but the free 
gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's good news this morning, folks. It doesn't matter what your past looks like. It doesn't matter what you have done. If you recognize that you are a sinner, which all of us are, and you recognize your need to repent of their sins, which all of us need to do, and you cry out to Jesus to forgive you for those sins, and you cry out to him to be your Lord and Savior, you know what's going to happen? In an instant, Lord Jesus is going to save you. He's going to save you just like he saved Paul. He's going to save you just like he saved Peter. He's going to save you just like he saved me and many, I pray, all of us in this room. But in a room this size, the likelihood of every single one of us in this room being a believer is probably pretty slim. So know this, Jesus came and died for you. He loves you, and he wants you to become a follower of his. And to do that, you must repent of your sins and give your life over to Jesus Christ. In verse 15, we read again, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of who I am the foremost. You know what Paul is saying here? He is saying, there is no one that has done as much bad as me. And if Jesus can save me, he can save you. He's saying, I'm the foremost of sinners. And if Jesus saved me, he can save you. So know that this morning. There's nothing that you have done that eliminates you from becoming a child of God. Our next point is this. Notice Paul's gratitude in verse 16. We read, but I received mercy for this reason, okay? That in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul received mercy, He received grace. And as a result, the Lord would use Paul to impact this world for him. Paul is telling Timothy that his life is proof positive of what the Lord can do in a life totally yielded to him. And if God can do this through a man like Paul, know that he can do things great through you as well. Paul, once again, is saying that, hey, my life is on full display for this world to see of what Jesus Christ has done in my life. I want you to know this morning, all of our lives are on full display of God's goodness, of God's grace, and of God's mercy. Every single day, we have the opportunity to to model what Christ has done in our lives. You know, this weekend, our students have been studying next. What's next? Now that you're a believer, what is that next step? Folks, now that we're all believers in this room, we need to be asking ourselves also, what is next? What is that place of ministry the Lord is calling me into? It could be on your school campus. It could be at your place of work. It could be in your neighborhood. But all of us have been given a, a, a ministry an opportunity to proclaim the good news of salvation. You and I were saved to be an example of what God can do through a life of someone yielded over to him. Ephesians 2.10, Paul wrote these words, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All of us were created to do something for Christ. James wrote these words in 2.18. He said, But someone will say, You have faith, 
and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Our faith in Christ is demonstrated as we work and as we serve. In Matthew 5, 14 through 16, Jesus told his disciples on the Sermon Mount, These words, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. All of us are to be a light for Jesus. That's what Jesus commanded his disciples, and that's what he's commanded us to be as well. In conclusion this morning, Notice how Paul wraps up this section of his letter to Timothy. In verse 17, Paul Paul writes, To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, I love how Paul closes out this letter. As Paul is writing, it's almost like, man, this is what God has done in my life. This is what I have done. I, was, I did before Christ. This is what I'm doing now. And then kind of at the end, it's almost like he just kind of stops and he reflects on God's goodness and then he bursts into praise. It's almost like he bursts into praising the Lord as he pins these words to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. One commentator wrote these words. Not only does God's grace demonstrate his patience, it also leads to God's praise. Paul was overwhelmed that he would receive mercy from such a king. Paul's description of praise in verse 17 tells us several things about the glory of God. First and foremost, we see that his glory is royal and eternal. God is the king of the ages now and forevermore. He is immortal. He never grows tired or weary. He never changes. Death and decay cannot and will not ever touch him. He is royal and eternal, which also we see that God's glory is invisible and incomparable. He is invisible, the only God. God is beyond the limits of what we can see or imagine, and no one compares with him. He is the only God, and he will receive honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Individual believers, local churches, and the church of Christ across the globe will continue to go through difficult times. However, the head of the church, Christ our God, Savior, and King, will ever be on his throne. Though opposition and challenges may come, God is the king of the ages. He will lead, guide, protect, purify, sanctify, and preserve his church. That is good news for all of us in this room. God is on his throne, and he is good, and he is perfect, and he is going to use us if we yield our lives over to him. Let's be people that worship the Lord and bring honor to the Lord and glorify the Lord. And and it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. God can use you. This has been many years ago, but I heard the story of a church that was looking for a new pastor. And and this church, they formed a search team, and and they they gathered together, and they began to pray. And, And then they made it known this was a big church, it was a mega church, and so they made it known um, through the different conventions and different things that they were looking for a pastor. And it didn't take long for applicants to begin flooding in 
Man, they were getting resume after resume after resume. And this search team, they did their due diligence. They would read through every resume, and if they liked that applicant, they would request more information for that applicant, which usually would have involved a tape or a, a, a video of their service. And so they got those in. They watched those. They even went and visited some of these pastors at their churches so that they could kind of see them in action. And, and this went on for, for months upon month upon month. And, and, and people within the church were getting frustrated because they could not find an applicant. So some person in the church, he devised his own resume, and he submitted that resume. And this is a terrible resume. Let me read to you the words of, of, of this applicant, okay? It says, understanding your pulpit is vacant. I should like to apply for the position. I have many qualifications. I've been a preacher with much success and also have had some success as a writer. Some say I'm a good organizer. I've been a leader in most places I've been. I'm over 50 years of age and I've never preached in one place for more than three years. In some places I've left town after my work caused riots and disturbances. I must admit I've been in jail three or four times, but not because of any real wrongdoing. My health is not too good, though I still accomplish a great deal. The churches I preached in have been small, though located in several large cities. I've not gotten along with religious leaders in the towns where I preached. In fact, some have threatened me and even physically attacked me. I'm not too good at record keeping. I've been known to forget whom I've baptized. However, if you can use me, I promise to do my very best. And that concluded that resume. And, and um, what do you think that search team did? Quickly discarded it, right? Well, this person in the church just said, you just rejected the Apostle Paul. And it didn't take them long after that to call a pastor. So what does that tell us this morning? It tells us this, that God can use even the worst of person to accomplish great things for him. We may have done many messed up things since we became believers. But I want you to know this morning that if you give your life to Jesus and surrender your life to him, he can and will use you to impact this world for him. That, my friends, is what we have all been called to do, to impact this world for Jesus Christ. If you've got breath this morning, it was given to you by God the Father. And if he's given you breath, I want you to know he also wants you to enter into a relationship with him. And if you choose not to enter into a relationship with him, that's on you, okay? The Bible is very clear. The consequences of a person not having come to faith in Jesus will mean they will spend eternity separated from Jesus in a real, literal place called hell. If you're here this morning and you have never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, in just a moment, I'm going to be standing here at the front. I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. That is to repent of your sins, cry out to Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, and begin today to live your life for him. Once again, as we conclude, your past does not determine your future. Regardless of what you've done in your past, God can still save you this morning to accomplish great things for him today and every day after this one. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. 
And if there's a decision you need to make this morning, I want to invite you to do that. If you need to come surrendering your life to Jesus, you come. If you need to come and the Lord's leading you to become a member of this church, you come. If you need to just, where you're at this morning, just spend some time in prayer, you do that as well. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Father, as we bring this service to a conclusion, Father, I thank you for the testimony of Paul. I thank you, Father, for the testimony of his life. Father, what we read when we read of his testimony is the truth that no one is beyond being saved. No one is beyond your grace. You don't love some people and discard others. You came to save all of us. And that's good news this morning. If there's someone here this morning that have yet to receive you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that this morning they'll do that very thing and that they'll repent of their sins and cry out to you to be their Lord and their Savior. I pray, Father, that there's some here this morning that you're leading to make friendship their church home, that they will do that as well. Father, I don't know what decision needs to be made, but I know that you do. Just move now during this time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need to make a decision, you come. If you need to come trust in Jesus, you come. You need to come join this church, you come. You may need where you're at. Let's just, let me just encourage you just to spend the next few minutes in prayer. Um, our instruments are going to play, and we're just going to reflect for just a moment. Reflect this morning on a couple of things. Number one, if you don't know Jesus, come this morning and receive Christ. Focus this morning on your prayer as to, Lord, am I serving you today? If I'm not serving you, why not? Father, reveal to me where I can serve you, okay? Pray for that. Then pray if the Lord's leading you to share the good news of salvation with a coworker, or a friend, or a family member. Pray that the Lord will give you an opportunity to do that as well. Let's just spend the next few moments praying together. You come if there is a decision you need.